Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kenno Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Welcome to the Azure Podcast. This is episode 479 being recorded on the 15th of November, 2023. I'm Russell Young and I'm joined today by Kale, Sujit and Cynthia. Welcome back, Cynthia. Uh, and, our, and our special guest today as well. So um, another fellow uh, peer of mine from Microsoft UK subsidiary, uh, a chap called Keith Howling. And, and Keith is a cloud solution architect, focuses on um, app development, and uh, he's been doing a lot of work and enablement around Radius recently, and uh, quite passionate about that. And it's a topic that uh, a lot of us that do or did app development quite keen to find out a lot more about. It's uh, sparked quite a lot of interest. Um, before we go over to Keith and get his uh, his proper intro, because I'm, I'm sure he'll correct me on the job title as well. I think Cloud <laughs> Solution Architect might be yeah. might be his previous role actually. Now I think about it, um, but we'll get we'll get all that information later. Uh, so I'll hand over first of all to to Kale. I think you've got a few updates uh, recently. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so just three here today from me. Uh, the first one, there's a couple here, just like kind of announcements and then uh, one one other special one from our blog. Uh, so the first one here is around the rate limits for the application gateway uh, web app firewall. Um, so basically, um, the rate limit custom rules for these kind of things are, are now um, available on the app gateway. Um, so the rate limiting allows you to do certain things based on your traffic, uh, as far as like detecting abnormal like levels and things like that that you want to tweak. Um, so you can use those pieces on there. That's GA now uh, specifically. So this is something that's been in preview uh, and now coming out of GA. So the rate limiting rules for the firewall. The other one that's similar to that is around TLS support. Um, and this was a call out. I think we talked about this in some past podcasts around TLS, but uh, support for TLS 1 and 1.1, uh, which are considered kind of deprecated now, will end um, actually next year uh, on Halloween, so October 31st, uh, 2024 is when those things are. So again, just a call out to make sure that you're using at least the uh, 1.2 or later uh, TLS uh, for your Azure services that you're using up there. And the last one is around uh, something similar uh, that I've talked about before around like cost analytics and then kind of usage and, and cost am analytics that you have on your uh, your tenant. So there's uh, this thing called FinOps and there's actually a spec around this called Focus, which is the FinOps open cost and usage spec pretty funny uh, but basically that's the it's a really cool format for basically organizing and collecting all the data uh, that lets organizations better understand their usage patterns uh, where they're spending in the cloud those kind of things so uh, there's a preview of this which includes like some cool dashboards and roll-ups and things like that that have been created uh, super helpful for enterprises who are trying to get a handle on their cloud spend and where they're spending money um, we talk about this quite a lot around the uh, different kind of providers that we have in there to help you better manage your um, your spend in Azure. Uh, but this is another way to do it. So we'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. 
Yeah, I spotted that focus announcement the other day and sent it through to one of my customers. I think particularly for organizations a little bit smaller that don't have their own FinOps teams and haven't really given a lot of thought to this stuff. I think it's a it's a great place to start and really puts a lot of good resources in in front of you. Uh, Thanks, Kale. Uh, Sujit? Hey, thanks, uh, Russell. Yes, I've got a few today, uh, two of them specifically on the Azure Chaos Studio. So Chaos Studio allows you to introduce chaos in your applications, and there's a way where you can create a template for your uh, various uh, experiments that you are working on. And there's two new experiments uh, templates that they've added uh, to Azure Chaos Studio. One of them is uh, the Azure Active Directory outage template. So, you know, by applying that to your VM, you can simulate as if like, hey, you know, there's, a, there's an AAD outage. How is your VM going to um, uh, react? And the second one is, and it does that, by the way, by kind of mod- modifying some of the NSG rules uh, in your network so that uh, the um, the request to the AAD endpoint uh, are going to fail. And the second one is the uh, availability zone down template. This is, again, is very important. I know I'm working on something similar with some customers uh, uh, at this moment where they want to be able to detect uh, uh, when an, a particular availability zone goes down so that they can uh, take action and fail over and whatnot. And, and again, uh, this is another template that's available in the in Chaos Studio now. Also in Chaos Studio, so when you when you kind of run the uh, when you when you want to do introduce chaos, there's no better way to do it than to introduce load in your system, right? So you want to introduce some sort of load, then so you can see how your system is going to react to that load, high CPU, high memory, or whatever it may be the case. Um, so now you can actually take uh, the output from your Azure Load uh, Testing Service, right, and apply it to the Azure Chaos Studio, right? So you've already got load uh, load profile set up with Azure Load Testing. You can take that and simply attach it to your uh, Chaos Studio uh, designer, and it will then make sure that that load is applied to the system while you start introducing chaos in it. And so this is a nice uh, uh, combination of two services that we have in Azure. And th- thirdly, like more for developers here, uh, Azure Functions now supports the .NET, .NET 8 in the isolated worker model. So if you're uh, kind of up on the latest and greatest uh, .NET versions, which I think we're uh, are going to be released uh, today. I think today is the start of Ignite. Uh, we should have mentioned that earlier. Um, but uh, yeah, they're uh, they're uh, already available now in the .NET Functions uh, framework choices. Uh, and then a couple more here. Uh, this one's really cool, actually, and I didn't know about this. But you know, when you use an app service, uh, you, you know, by default you get like a front end uh, service, uh, a front end endpoint, and that front end endpoint talk to your workers in the back end, right? And so if you use TLS, the TLS terminates on the front end, but from the front end to the back end, it's non-TLS. Now, if you use the old, uh, not the old, but the uh, on-premises uh, or the lockdown ASC version of uh, app service. Uh, you did have that option of uh, of doing the encryption all the way through to the workers. It wasn't available in the multi-tenanted version. Happy to say that they have released it for the multi-tenanted version now. So in the multi-tenanted version of App Service, you can have the term- SSL termination all the way to the workers and not have that uh, gap in your security posture. And then finally, uh, Azure Monitor logs. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, regulations require logs to be preserved for some period of years. Typically, it's been seven years, uh, and that's the amount that they would allow you to to preserve in Azure Monitor logs. Uh, for but now in some locations, some locations because of healthcare and tax um, reasons, they needed 10 to 12 years, and so now they bumped it up to 12 years. So you have an option of uh, keeping your logs for up to 12 years.
And uh, that's it for me, Russell. Thank you. Marvellous. Thank you very much. Yeah. And apologies, Keith. I know you're a, you're a principal technical specialist now, I believe. Yeah. You've been reading Active Directory, haven't you? I yeah, have. That, yes. That's right. <laughs> that's my title. Yeah. No worries. So do you want to, do you want to give us a quick overview about your um, you know, what you do in Microsoft and why, why you wanted to go on and talk about Radius and what that's all about? Yeah, no, thanks. It's uh, first time on the podcast, so thanks for thanks for the invite. So yes, I'm a I'm a, an Azure technical specialist. So I, I work quite closely with Russell and his team, um, focused on digital and application innovation. So that essentially means helping customers uh, move either upgrade and modernize existing application estates into the cloud, or develop net new architectures um, and make sure those architectures are are, are uh, cloud native, using all the all the best Azure services to to meet the customer needs, often around a well architected framework, with all its tenants of reliability, security, uh, cost optimization, etc. So, I've been doing been doing this in a couple of roles for about seven years now. So, had had a had quite a bit of experience within Microsoft in uh, in mapping out these application journeys over to the to our Azure Pass services. So, in in, a, in the last, I don't know, three or four years, that, that's often meant a, a journey to AKS, our, our, our Kubernetes service. Um, AKS has, has grown just enormously over that time. Its popularity has, has really has really grown. And there's, there's so many organizations out there out and out, out that have adopted Kubernetes on Azure in AKS and other clouds. And it's um, it's really become a a, a a proven scalable platform for for application deployment. Um, we we think we see a lot of people, a lot of organizations really like the the, the agnostic nature of of Kubernetes in that um, there's no one vendor that controls the the roadmap or specification. It's a it's a CNCF project, and so that it gives you a sense of uh, of application portability and and being able to implement the same APIs across across different clouds. Um, the hyperscalers have got it very well integrated into their stacks. So, uh, in Azure, for example, we have um, we have a, a, an excellent product group who's been iterating nonstop. It feels like for the last uh, five or six years, and integrating Kubernetes experience deeply within our fabric of our cloud to um, to drive that. And it's proven in mission mission critical scale as well. With Black Friday coming up, uh, we've got a lot of retailers that, that are relying on on these services. So. Hence the interesting radius, really. So um, one of the challenges of of that AKS of of, of implementing AKS is is um, when a workload team look to move their workloads onto onto a platform like Kubernetes, it can be quite a complicated activity. So the the workload teams are left with having to understand how to define an application in 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 Kubernetes terms, and that often means pods, deployments, ingresses, all of those. Uh, all of those um, Kubernetes API primitives, uh, but that's not that. That really doesn't give you the definition of that application. Applications are not just a container or a set of containers. Applications have dependencies. They have uh, key vaults. They have caches. They have databases. They have messaging queues. And so there's um, oftentimes there's a lot of technology there for 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 workload teams to understand about how how do we define our application, how do we deploy it. To make sure we've got all the all the right uh, tooling in place, and and that can be a, a complicated task. The other 
The other piece around Kubernetes is that, um, again, AKS takes a lot of the uh, automation and, and uh, provides you a lot of options for um, for Microsoft managed capabilities for its add-ons portfolio. But still, there's um, there's quite a bit of best practice that gets baked in to understand how to operate fleets of clusters at scale and how to ensure they continue to get updated and, and ensure they continue to, to host those mission-critical workloads. And as such, we've seen a lot, lot of organizations build platform engineering teams around that activity uh, to, to ensure that all those good practices are kept. So where does Redis fit? Um, the, the, challenge, the, the main challenges here is there's no clear definition of an application uh, in that ecosystem so for the workload teams. And there's not a clear separation between what the platform team activities are and what the workload team activities are. And Radius comes and really fills that gap and gives you a, a rock solid concrete separation of those of the platform team concern and the workload team concern and where those boundaries are. It's very opinionated in, in that in that capability. So the platform team is responsible for creating things like recipes, which we'll get into uh, for the operations side, and the application team is responsible for um, for creating the application definition. Uh, okay, go ahead, Sujit. Keep Sorry, I wasn't sure who. Through, um, platform and workload, it kind of reminds me of the whole DevOps evolution probably a decade ago. How does CICD fit into all of these? And do people then replace some of the existing tools they currently use to use Radius? Or is it complementary that they use Radius and they use GitHub Actions or they use whatever other CICD tool? Yeah, great question. So um, Radius is actually built on top of uh, your infrastructure's code templating language. So it, it actually leverages that side of uh, that side of of the operations team. So it's it's a, it built on an extensible model around BICEP or Terraform. So you will continue to use your Terraform or BICEP modules and publish those modules out as as maybe platform teams are already doing. Uh, but the because of the extensibility, it also gives um, the application workload teams the ability to define their application in those in those languages as well in in bicep or terraform uh where the two marry marry up so it's not it's not necessarily replacing or uh, any existing tool sets you would still use your github actions or your or your pipelines to to run those um to, to run the automation around that but ultimately to to do local development and um and production deployment, there's a, there's a CLI tool that Radius comes with that the workload or pipeline would call that would do that deployment for you. And also that that, that CLI will leverage the BICEP um, definitions of your services and applications to, to provision those in your preferred cloud provider. So it's um, it's kind of filling the gap. It's not necessarily replacing any tool sets. It's kind of filling the gap where in the past, folk have had to really create scripts or bundle stuff together or do something very proprietary to their own environment. This Radius is trying to bring a, a real concrete viewpoint on how we think you should you should you should operate across those across those things. 
And, yeah. and Keith, you know, right. when I first uh, read about Radius uh, a couple of weeks ago, I one of the things that confused me, I think it was it was pitched as like uh, being an application platform of some sort. And when I look at the details, it's more of an infrastructure deployment uh, system or, or platform. I mean, there aren't any, uh, you know, the applications don't have to change the way that they work, right? There aren't any APIs as such that are on Radius. It's, you know, applications, if you're writing a Spring Boot app or a .NET uh, service yeah. or something like that, that would still remain the same. You know, you have your, your, your application APIs and all that. It's just uh, what I'm understanding is that it's the way that you put it all together uh, so that you can deploy it into uh AKS or any other Kubernetes environment is what is provided for you. Uh, I'm wondering if you can just clarify that for us. And that's exactly right. So no, th that's a good point. So the, the the real value here comes when, um, as I say, when you're defining your application as a, as a workload team, Radius provides you with a set of uh, application definition uh, resources just like if you're familiar with BICEP or Terraform, just like you'd have a resource for a database or a network or a VM, uh, what Radius brings is a definition of an application. So now you're defining your app as a as a as a BICEP or Terraform resource, and Radius itself gives you a a control plane that will understand that definition of that application, and that application may have a link to a database, to a message queue, uh, to a cache. And then it understands how to deploy it and how to provision it, not just on Azure, but on AWS and other clouds as well. So it's a, it's again that that vendor agnostic nature of Radius. What's made Kubernetes so popular? Um, it's it allows you to give you that application definition and all of the dependencies in a in a graph that you can provide. And then Radius knows how to deploy it to those different clouds, rather than those teams having to do other things. So yeah, it's it's very much. Um, it's very much a it's, it's not its own discrete service. It very much needs Kubernetes. So if you don't have a, a Kubernetes cluster, you can't install or use Radius. So it's very much tied to Kubernetes at the moment. Uh, but if you think of it as I, I like the I like the analogy when you look at Azure and how our portal works, we have resource providers for databases, for virtual machines, for Azure functions. Uh, but what we don't have a resource for is an application. We don't have an application-centric view, whereas Radius brings that an application-centric view, and it knows how to provision it. If you point to your AWS environment or as your environment, it knows how to then build that and, and run it out. I hope that makes sense. It does. Thank you. Yeah, Keith. One one question I had was uh, that maybe our listeners have as well is. Um, I think it's not a new concept to say, hey, we can build a layer above these clouds and be able to like perform these operations above them. I think, you know, years back we had things from like Cloud Foundry. Uh, I think most popular now is like Porter and things like that. So I guess the question is like, uh, what's Radius doing differently? Uh, if you can comment on that, like, what's it bringing to the table that like some of these other platforms we had before that like sit on top there do? So I think that's a great question. I, I think. The, the differentiator here is so Microsoft have built up a lot of experience about how to define resources in the cloud and how that scales. And it's been obviously we have a, a long history in in, in folk using uh, infrastructure as code to deploy applications and services up, up to the cloud. We've taken a lot of learning from that, the team that developed Radius, and we've implemented 
we've implemented the pattern in a in a very similar way in that we've now got a new set of definitions that actually define our application not the underlying infrastructure resources but the, i think the key differences are a couple of things one is um we're not introducing a new language here we're not introducing a anything anything new that folk have to learn we're, we're, we're just introducing um a new resource types in either bicep or terraform uh, that give you that ability to to create that application definition in in those infrastructure as code languages that you're already using today uh, also the the other the other really big piece of this is is mm -hmm. how we separate the dev and the ops side so as an application developer uh, you can you you deploy your application into an environment and you specify your application, the containers it contains, uh, maybe the uh, the the cache you want, the uh, the databases you need, but you're not authoring the underlying bicep or Terraform that will create those cloud resources. That's what the operations team will do. So when the platform team um, build an environment for you for the workload teams, they'll they'll have already created these modules that we call recipes to know how do I deploy a SQL resource or how do I deploy a Redis cache or MongoDB in our preferred in in this environment. And that may be that they'll they will have enabled um, federated workload identity. Uh, they may have it, it, they may have enabled key vault for containers uh, for any key credentials and because all you have to do as a workload team then is link to that pre-definition of that resource that the that the platform team have done. So when you're defining your app and you say I want a I want a SQL database, you just say my environment is is um, uh, is is the test environment for this particular group. There'll be a recipe that your platform team will have done that will provision either AWS or Azure resources in line with those security standards. But the app team don't need to know how to do that, how to work out private endpoints or federated identity or anything like that. But the important credentials to link your application up will be injected into your application code dynamically. So that kind of boundary between the, the workload team's responsibility and the platform team's responsibility is very well defined. Where I, and I don't think we've really had that definition, that separation before. We have seen our customers do it all the time, but we've never really had any prescribed tooling around that around that boundary before. You've just sorry. You've just connected okay. the dots that. Sorry, Carl. You just connected the dots that I was going to ask a question around because I was getting my trying to get my head around when you talk about you define what the application looks like and yet you use words like it connects to a database and you've got dependencies and you need to describe those. I'm then thinking, well, you need to provision a SQL database somewhere. How do you do that? I now understand that you don't need to do that as an app developer. I can start with a blank canvas and I can say. I've got a web app here. I've, I need a SQL server. I need a Redis cache or I need a caching mechanism. And the rest of it's connected by the recipes, which is basically a link to a predefined library of stuff that your ops team have got that has the infrastructure as code to deploy those things and hook them together somehow. Yeah. yeah. And if, what's what's really nice is if you're if you you can use your local machine or or a or a or a dev cluster as a development environment and the recipes in the development environment will be super lightweight they may be just a, a redis container that will run directly in your cluster if you ask for a redis cache and so when you deploy your application definition on your local host to do your local loop uh, that will be super quick to deploy very cost efficient just using in cluster in cluster open source redis cache 
But then when you deploy that same application definition into your production server, the recipe in the production server for a Redis cache, cache will be a bicep recipe that your ops team have generated with private link, uh, federated identity, uh, the right tier of service. Uh, it may be even um, you know regional uh, regional failover. All of all of that kind of platform enablement will be abstracted for you, but your application definition doesn't change as you go across your environment. And all the monitoring that goes with it, all that all that kind exactly. of good stuff that goes into making it a production service. Right, brilliant. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Sorry, Carl, I interrupted you. Yeah, no worries. I just had a follow up there on this. So when this thing you, you've been talking a lot about how this helps at the application level deploy all these dependent resources and things like that underneath, should we think about Radius like a platform then to also like manage that? Or is it like like once it deploys it, then ops teams can like jump right into Azure. Let's say they're using Azure and start messing with those things if they need to. Or is it like, no, 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 no. The, the way this works, we always go through Radius and then Radius is kind of our plane control plane, as you said earlier. We just continue to use that going forward. Or how's that work? So the, the, great question again. Um, so I think from if you think of um if let's let's say we're going to define a production environment uh, in Radius. So an, an environment in Radius is a top level resource definition that has a list of recipes, uh, and a recipe is ultimately a a module in an OCR compliant uh, store. So it could be a bicep module or a Terraform module. So if if the platform team iterate on their modules and they have updates that they want to ha- they want to have configuration updates or changes to their recipes, they can version and update those recipes. So that's built that's that's built into the platform. And also, obviously, the the workload team, if they want to iterate, they can iterate their application definitions and and whatnot as they go forward. So those the idea would be that those re- the recipes and the applications would would just up version over time and, and improve over time as it moved forward. But uh, Radius would always be your point of running uh, and deploying the application through the through the Radius CLI through those definitions. Now, of course, go into the portal, have a look at the have a look at the resources, um, do what you need to do in there uh, in terms of um, going in and, and having a look at log analytics and various things that's obviously that's still open to you but yeah we, you'd want to keep radius as your as your source of truth for deploying that's so a great question just to kind of go on to the next step then is, is radius um just an engine that gets used at deployment time or is there more to it that does stuff elsewhere <laughs> is, it, is it just something that you call that does the you know orchestration of that deployment yeah so Really, so really interesting. So Redis comes in two bits. You've got they call it a universal control plane. So the universal control plane, when you, you first of all you download a CLI tool called RAD. Of course, every every good solution has to have a CLI tool. Uh, and then when you do a RAD in it, which is one of the first steps you do to get this thing running, it installs the universal control plane. Think of it like the the uh, Azure Resource Manager, think of it like a small version of the Azure Resource Manager, but it installs that into your Kubernetes cluster. So then your RAD CLI is interacting with the Azure Kubernetes in the universal control plane, which is a set of pods running in your Kubernetes cluster. And those are responsible for um, for then looking at your instruction. It, it holds all of the all of these um, resources definitions. So it's got its recipes, environments, workspaces, application definitions, links. All of those things are held in the cluster as resource definitions. 
And so you're instructing those pods in the control plane to go ahead then and uh, run this bit of bicep on Azure or run this bit of Terraform on AWS and then uh, deploy your app definition into the into the Kubernetes cluster. So that's that's the job of that universal control plane that's doing all that work. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and, and I know, uh, Kale, uh, you may want to go next, but I wanted to ask, uh, so uh, just on that, that means there isn't uh, some sort of a daemon set or something that's deployed, uh, which is constantly, I don't know, doing stuff with these uh, with these deployments, right? Uh, like as Russell was saying, once you issue the CLI command or uh, you do the bicep uh, command or whatever, it's just going to do the deployment. Uh, essentially, under the covers, it would be translating it to normal bicep arm uh, commands or templates and, and deploying it to Azure. And once it's done, it's offhand. It's like offhands, right, in terms of yes. that until you give the next command. Uh, okay. In between commands, there is no uh, radius involvement, I, I, I would see. say. I, I don't believe, I haven't seen any kind of desired state type of operations there. I don't believe so. I'm not, I wouldn't, not 100% sure on that, but I, I think it's very much a, a CLI initiated set of activities um yeah it's a, it's a it's a good it's a good question I'll, I'll i'll take a look but i don't believe so that that would be cool though eh? if it was a if it was desired state yeah yeah what one thing too that goes along with this discussion uh we talk about a lot of things inside microsoft around like a unified cloud which is things even beyond azure but you know use azure things like the power platform or teams or any of these kind of things i guess the question i have is like something like radius how extensible is that is it like no this thing's kind of really locked to like these yeah. cloud vendors and like resource providers in our case, or is it like, no, no, it, you can actually plug other things into your automation to do other things out there, maybe even GitHub or something, you know? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. So you can imagine taking a dependency on Radius is, is a pretty significant choice, uh, decision by any any team. It's, it's gonna change the way that you define your applications and it's gonna specify a working pattern between your platform teams. So it's, Whenever we release these types of open source um, projects like DAPO or, or Radius, uh, you know, we we do it because we see a lot of our customers are struggling with these areas, and we do it because we're trying to fill a hole where to stop having every individual organization creating a, an engineering team to build their own solutions. That that's what that's how Radius, that's how DAPO came came about. So these. A lot, a lot of the extensibility we've learned from from our Azure, uh, from our Azure experience in having a portal, having resource manager, multiple resource managers, uh, being able to provision hundreds of resources through that one area, uh, having a whole uh, marketplace full of um, full of solutions as well. That's also being brought to Radius. So those those same tried and trusted design patterns are in there. So at, at the moment, you, you'll see when you look at um, environment definitions, for example, the only compute kind that the, the guys support right now is, is Kubernetes, but there is a compute kind field. So I imagine in the future, there may be other services in there, functions, logic apps, whatever else, but that, that definitely the, the pattern for that is extensible, uh, similar to, at the moment, we support uh, Terraform and Bicep, but uh, and offloading those modules to the various uh, those various engines. But again, I'm 
it's, it's definitely ex- extensible today. There's there's good recipe coverage, I think, for AWS and Azure. Uh, GCP uh, is may follow in the future, but the extensibility is definitely built in to there. And the the fact that if if customer teams do depend, start taking this as the dependency and they see it as a problem, actually, we need to solve this and we don't want to engineer our own solution. We've, uh, you know, being multi-cloud and agnostic, is, is, it's, it always drives way more adoption than if it was tied into one 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 vendor. Yeah, and, and real quick follow on that is, uh, yeah. we I think maybe you've mentioned it already. So is this entire project open source? And is it something like Microsoft kind of bootstrapped this or is just like a strong member supporting this? We have other like cloud groups working on this or other companies or what's the situation there? Yeah, this has come from our labs team in in Microsoft. So uh, uh, very similar to Dapper, uh, Mark Rosanovich out of a CTO organization uh, created this this solution, and 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 you see that because of those lessons learned from how we've how Azure and the portal and that whole piece. When you start to use uh, Radius, you'll see that a lot of lessons have been learned over the years, and and that's been baked into the design pattern. So yeah, that's where that's come from. Any any other questions? Yeah. Uh, so two kind of comments uh, I wanted to make. One is uh, I was just looking up the. The documentation for radius as you were talking earlier Keith. and the interesting point was that uh it's all containers right everything is a container i think that's like the the medium of deployment these days so there's no option for you know running stuff in a vm and whatnot everything has to be bundled as a container and the second thing uh, uh you kind of briefly mentioned dapper and glad to see that that's a first class citizen in radius where uh they actually have a dapper resource and so, uh, you know, you could uh, you could uh, use your if you're already using Dapper, great. If you're not using Dapper, you still have those uh, application level um, uh, uh, platforms or, or frameworks available to you. Right. We talked earlier how this is more of a deployment system, but with the Dapper extension, I can see how this is also opinionated in the way that you build applications, right? You know, obviously, you have to build a Dapper application. You're going to have to uh, adopt uh, all of the things that Dapper uh, yeah. kind of requires you to do uh, using uh, their state stores and PubSub and, and whatever else uh, they have to offer. So I, it's nice to see that, that that's there because that would certainly make it as an application developer would help me as well, right? I mean, we want to get into the cloud native world. Yes, we want to make sure our ops team is into cloud native worlds. We also want to make sure the application team is getting into the cloud native world. And I, I think that's uh, that's where the dapper uh, is going to come in. <clears throat> yeah, 100%. I think like like most things, uh, dapper, again, is a... Um, is an abstraction that is a it will significantly change the way that you go about building the actual fabric of your application itself like with so think of inside the container not so radius is for things outside the container dapper is for architecting your apps inside the inside the container and again that is um an abstraction choice that you can make as a as as a workload team uh, if you're looking to develop a microservice based app and uh, and uh, Dapper brings a lot of value in in that particular process, but but it's absolutely it's not a it's not a prerequisite. It's not mandatory. It's something again you can make a choice on whether you want to include Dapper or not. But as you say, if you if you do include it, it's there as a first class resource inside of inside of Radius for deployment. So yeah, good point. 
Thanks. What's the what's the life cycle of the infrastructure that gets deployed as part of the recipe? Because it sounds like there's like the recipe and then it goes to deploy the VM or the Redis cache or whatever you're deploying. So then after that, how do you manage to make sure that when I want to delete the cache, it's also deleted whatever else Redis is recipe radius is tracking it? Yeah, ours. <laughs> that's that's a great question. So if I think if the the recipe is ultimately a a, a link to a a module, a bicep or a Terraform module that defines that that tells Radius how to deploy that application to what with that dependency to whatever cloud. Um, when you're de- when you're creating your application definition, you're linking into that resource. You're specifying the resource, giving it a name, and then linking it to the application. Um, as I said, if you delete, so you can go ahead and uh, Radius, the CLI has a, um, it's it's very much structured like the Cube, uh, the CTL CLI. So you give it your kubectl um, uh, um, with the with the the resource and then get list set or show. It's it's a very similar thing. So you can go ahead and delete that application, uh, and that I'm so it's a good question. I'm assuming that application then will get removed from the uh, from the from the environment that you specify from the infrastructure. I'd, I'd have to see if there's a, a specific command to do that or whether it will do it kind of just as a normal delete operation in the radius CLI. So yeah, it's a good question. I have to have a look to see if it actually will delete all the resources. Wouldn't like to make an assumption there. I guess I guess it would make sense if it does. Um, so just to tidy up. All of its deployment resources. So yeah, but um, yeah, because ultimately the um, the definition of the application is in is in Bicep, and you would absolutely just check that Bicep into your repo as part of that application. So the source of truth is still the repo, and then so the, that you can redeploy that app anytime you want into any environment. It's been really interesting. I mean, it's it's yeah. like the the clouds have cleared for me, and I suddenly get it when you when you explained it earlier. And I've started looking at some of the um some of the documentation now. It's it's all kind of fits into yeah. place, and I can see really why this is a great great tool uh, to use. Before we kind of wrap up, um, is there what what? How would you suggest we kind of get our hands wet with it, or, or dip our feet in, or whatever the analogy is, to get going with it and get started and have a play? Yeah, so you'll you'll see the first the first point in the getting started guide. So the 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 website is a great uh, a great place to start. It's got a great getting started guide. So it's a radapp.com. Uh, sorry, radapp.io. So R-A-D-A-P-P. The the uh, the challenge is the fir- the very first thing it will say as a prereq is you need a Kubernetes cluster, and that that for some is not an insignificant piece of work to to set that up. So Obviously, we have. Um, if you have access to an Azure subscription, you can go ahead and provision a, a fairly standard AKS cluster. Just accept all the defaults from the portal, uh, and then um, ra- um, the rad init command will do the rest. So then it, it will just show you that then the tutorial about how to deploy your first application, how to deploy your first recipe, and go through that process. So I think I know Russell. I know you. You and I have worked recently on a couple of customers where actually th- this. We've seen folk build their own solutions in this space before. So I think what will be really interesting for anybody who's actually built already built a solution, perhaps to abstract maybe a multi-cloud Kubernetes landscape, or if they're thinking about um, putting their own solution together, 
definitely give Radius a look because, as I say, it's got a lot of our best practices baked in. It scales. Um, and if it saves you um, six months of writing your own engineering solution, then then that's 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 brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, on the AKS bit, I did find a, a demo in Microsoft Learn and um, there's a quick start in there. And I think it took less than five minutes. I had a cluster up and running. So I think to get going with that's quite straightforward now as well. They've made the command line stuff so easy now. Um, but no, thank you for that. That's been really interesting. Um, if you've got any other kind of links and resources that you want to share with listeners, then um, if you can pass them on to me and I'll, uh, I'll share them in the show notes below. But if nobody else has got any other questions, I'd just like to say thank you very much. That's really, really comprehensive and uh, good explanations. Thank you. No, thanks for being right. And thanks for the questions as well. Thanks for, yeah, thanks all, all good stuff. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.